Welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and in our recent past, we have welcomed the newborn king into the world. We have watched as the shepherds and the angels and the magi all sought to put themselves into the presence of Christ. We do that today as we come together to worship and to celebrate and then seek to do that every day for the rest of our lives. Let's take this journey together. We are so glad you're here. Come on in. Our first reading today is taken from Isaiah 63, 1 through 9. Isaiah 63, 1 through 9. Who is this that comes from Edom, from Basra, in garments stained crimson? Who is this so splendidly robed, marching in his great might? It is I, announcing vindication mighty to save. Why are your robes red and your garments like theirs who trespass the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their juice spattered on my garments and stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and the year for my redeeming work had come. I looked, but there was no helper. I stared, but there was no one to sustain me. So my own arm brought me victory, and my wrath sustained me. I trampled down people in my anger. I crushed them in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us, and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior in all their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. I'll be reading verses 24 through 30. This is the so-called parable of the wheat and the tares. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. While everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. The slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slave said, and then, do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no. For an in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, 
collect the weeds first and bind them into bundles, bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, your word promises us that your word does not return to you empty. So, Lord, we pray for ourselves that in hearing your word, you would so move our spirits that we would be energized to be your people in this world and to proclaim your glory around us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody, and greetings from the Outreach Foundation. When suffering is happening in God's world, the Outreach Foundation helps congregations just like First Presbyterian answer the question, what can we do? Our work is done through relationships of trust with Christians living in places where suffering is intense. We come alongside the church because we don't just want to heal physical wounds, We want to see Jesus healing hearts and spirits as well. And when war broke out in Ukraine, First Presbyterian Church asked, what can we do? So Danny, thank you for the opportunity to come here this morning to share back with you and this congregation ways that you have responded to the call for help in Ukraine. I hope today that you'll see your thumbprints are on the lives of thousands. I'm fresh off a two-week visit with Dr. Ivan Rusin, who is president of Ukraine Evangelical Theological Seminary in Kiev, and his wife, Luda. We traveled together from San Diego, California, then to Tulsa, Oklahoma, over to Birmingham, Alabama, and then on up to Nashville, Tennessee. And today I'd like to share some of the story that I've learned from Yvonne and Luda. To frame their story, I'd like to begin with a brief teaching out of the two passages for today, Isaiah chapter 63 and Matthew 13. Two truths emerge from them. First, evil exists in this world. It's as real as the water we drink, though society wants to deny it. What Putin and Russian soldiers are doing isn't crazy, it's evil. And when the Russian Orthodox Church blesses these actions, it isn't ludicrous, it's evil. There's a line from the 1990s movie, The Usual Suspects, that goes like this. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. Well, these passages and many others in Scripture declare that Satan does exist and he is evil, and the evil that he sown touches every single one of us. The second truth we get from these passages is that when we hurt because of this evil, God hurts too. 
I'm going to reread verse 9 of Isaiah 63. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his compassion, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. When God's people look back on our pain, we see that somehow he has been faithful. He has been present. It's just like Yvonne told me. He and his wife live in Bucha, where that's the place that became known early in the war for all the atrocities. Essentially, Russian troops gave prisoners, the worst prisoners of Russia, guns and said, have fun. Ivan says that he saw Jesus there. Jesus was there when a woman came up to him and cried for help. He saw Jesus when he saw a student offering that help. And in the hundreds of bodies found in mass graves, Ivan says that he saw Jesus lying there too. One of the passages that Ivan often mentioned to people these past two weeks was this parable of the weeds and the wheat. It communicates some superb lessons about what God is up to with this war in Ukraine. And I thought it good to share these with you today. But first, let's pull back just a bit. Matthew chapter 13 is filled with parables. And each one answers Jesus' question from the end of Matthew 12, where he asks, who is my mother and who are my brothers? To be counted among these people is to take up our cross. It is Jacob meeting the Lord overnight and walking away crippled. Often when we see and meet God, we do not walk away the same. And often we can walk away crippled. To be counted among Jesus' mother and brothers is to accept the pain and perplexity of living in a sinful world, yet remain true to him. The parable of the wheat and weeds speaks about this more clearly than any other. And it does so by posing a question that people have asked since Abel was struck down dead by his brother Cain. Here it is. Why, God, are you allowing this evil to happen? Let's be honest. We've each asked this question at one point or another. We probably didn't take up the Christian faith as a pill against life's tragedies. But still, maybe we've thought that life was supposed to be better than it is. At its worst, this way of thinking becomes an indictment. If God is good, 
then how do we explain the hell on earth that so many are enduring? Maybe God isn't so good after all. The people mentioned in this parable are wondering this very thing. The war in Ukraine has made visible the absolute worst of humanity, but then again, so do all wars. Women and children made it out of Ukraine and breathed a sigh of relief only to land into the car of a human trafficker looking for slaves and even organs for the black market. Mass graves have been unearthed in Bucha with the hands of civilian children, women, and men bound tightly. And what may be the coldest thing in all of this is that the Russian Orthodox Church blesses this war while denying the atrocities. I was curious to learn that there are no known church leaders in prison for standing against the war. Only some secular people who've dared to speak out against it. The question of God's goodness first became real to me when I taught in Lithuania. In 2014, when Russia first invaded, a student's family was caught behind enemy lines. This student asked me with great pain in her eyes, what kind of God would allow this to happen to my family? And she asked, why would I follow this God that the church holds up for me to see? There's a lot of pain behind that question. Pain for which there is no answer but silence. A silence that can only come knowing that God is somehow mysteriously present and offers no answer. That this parable doesn't say that God causes the evil. The seed that the man sowed was good. Here Jesus takes us back to Genesis 1, where it says that God created light and it was good. He created the sea and everything in it, and they were good. God created the plants, the trees, and beasts of the field, and they were good. And then he created man and woman, and when he looked at everything, he said, it is very good. Only a good God could create such goodness. But this parable does say that an enemy came at night and put bad seeds among the good. And it happened while those who were supposed to be watching over the field slept. Did you catch that small detail? It wasn't a good God's fault that the bad weeds infiltrated the good wheat. The people looking after the field had fallen asleep, and that's when it happened. Here's something of what that sleeping looks like today. 1994, Ukraine, the Russian Federation, the United States, 
the United Kingdom and France, signed an agreement that Ukraine would forfeit all its nuclear arms. It's called the Budapest Memorandum. In return, each of these other states, so the United States, the UK, and France, would get in Russia, would guarantee Ukraine's security. Seemed like a good deal. Yet over the next couple of decades, Moscow used very subtle rhetoric about Ukraine that everyone, including the church and politicians, dismissed. That rhetoric was designed to create suspicion about Ukraine. The rhetoric came from the pulpits, it came from Patriarch Kirill, it came from politicians, and chiefly it came from Putin. Russia influenced Ukrainian politics, and a lot of money disappeared. Then in 2014, there was a dramatic call against the corruption. In February, religious and political leaders came together to say, enough with the corruption. It's called the revolution of dignity. One month later, Russia, the same country that said it would protect Ukraine, annexed Crimea and attacked eastern Ukraine. And the world watched, yet did nothing. That sleeping while the evil one sows the weeds. Dr. Rusin made it clear that the people of Ukraine do not blame the U.S., the U.K., or France for what is happening, but they are deeply hurt by the lack of quick action by countries who promise to defend them. They are especially wounded by their Russian brothers and sisters, and they are very angry. Yet, and here's the point where I move, yet they do not blame God. Not once, Ivan said, has he heard anyone turn from God or doubt him in this, and neither should we. The truth about this life is that there are weeds among the wheat. Now notice in the parable that the people responsible for letting the weeds be there in the first place, they're the ones who argue with God. They suggest that it's God's fault, and well, we've heard Jesus' answer to that. And Then they try to suggest that the way out of this mess, well, let's just get rid of the weeds. Surely a good God wouldn't want bad weeds to be with all the good wheat. But to their surprise, Jesus says, let the weeds and the wheat grow up together. You see, the wheat and the weeds were both young. It wasn't possible to determine which one was wheat and which one was a weed. So pulling up what looks like a weed might actually be wheat, and some of the wheat is really a weed. There's really no way to tell. Dr. Rusin said this several times over the past couple of weeks, and he means it. Vengeance isn't in my hands, but I know God will do it one day. Now let me be clear. 
Ivan and our other friends in Ukraine are not ready to talk about forgiveness. It's way too soon for that. When anybody suggests forgiveness, it says it hurts them even more. When they read scripture, they have found special strength from the precatory psalms. Here's an example from Psalm 3, verse 7. Strike all my enemies on the cheek. Break the teeth of the wicked. It's up to God to exact righteous judgment, and one day he will. This parable says the same thing. Later, when the disciples asked Jesus what the parable meant, here's his response, starting with verse 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For this war in Ukraine, for all the injustices occurring in our land, for every person trafficked, for every act of horrid evil spawned by Satan, thank God that one day there will be a righteous and good judgment. And it will be righteous and good because it will come from a good God. And he knows the difference between a weed That's just pretending to be like the wheat and the wheat that's the real deal. One day, there will be a reckoning. That's what Jesus promises in this parable. In the meantime, he says, the weeds will live among the wheat. And there are some reasons for it. Here are a couple of stories from the war in Ukraine. In Soviet times, just over 30 years ago, the church was persecuted. Pastors were imprisoned. Today, the church shines magnificently. Throughout Ukraine, the church is regarded as the primary source of hope in life. There is a spiritual revival taking place like never before. Jesus' name is lifted up. People kiss the Bibles that they receive. They have never seen that happen before. And churches are filled. Soldiers are taking communion for the first time and some for their last time with tears in their eyes. That's wheat living among the weeds in Ukraine. Dr. Rusin has been very articulate about this. At the beginning of the war, he he and others had nothing to give but their bodies and their words. But because churches like First Presbyterian sent money, churches could bring food, clothing, Bibles, and most recently, power. Every week, Ivan's seminary in Kiev, which has been struck by missiles six times, serves 1,500 hot meals to anybody who shows up. Thanks to the large generators that we, together with you, just purchased, people are able to have, have warmth, hot water, and power up their mobile phones from the seminary. 
That's because the weeds, the wheat is living among the weeds. And you are part of that. Just one more story gets to the heart of this message and then I'll close. A family desperately needed to evacuate their elderly grandfather from a village that was outside Kiev. The building that this person lived in was completely destroyed. Russian soldiers were close and the Red Cross, the Samaritan's Purse and every other major relief agency had said no to the request of this family. The church was the last hope and Ivan said yes. Now when Ivan and his team arrived, they understood why the others wouldn't come. The man was paralyzed. He was likely not to survive the 350 mile drive to the nearest hospital. Still, Ivan and his students took the man. Now roads over there aren't like what we have, like I could drive a wonderful road between Birmingham, Alabama and here, it was easy. Roads over there aren't like that. And there were a lot of times that Yvonne said he wondered if the man was alive, but every time he heard that man cough, he thanked God because it meant that he was alive. Several hours later, they arrived at the hospital. Yvonne, they opened up the van doors. The, the man's wife was there and just embraced them with tears and thankfulness. And then he saw what he didn't see before. He saw that his student was sitting on the floorboards of that van and the entire way there never let go of that paralyzed man's hand. Is it any wonder then that this entire family has decided to follow Jesus and that the church has become the greatest source of hope in war-stricken Ukraine. That only happens because in God's mysterious wisdom, he has said, let the wheat live with the weeds. And you, First Presbyterian Church, have been part of making that happen. If Yvonne were here, he would say, thank you. With the war making a significant turn for the worst this week, it looks like the spring offensive has started. The Outreach Foundation will continue to stand with Yvonne and our other friends who are there. What can we do? Generators right now are a significant need because almost 60% of the power grid has been destroyed. At best, people get 12 to four, get eight to 12 hours of power a day. In mid-March, a few of us are visiting the region to deliver medicine and those of you in the military know what these are, IFAC and CLS kits. Those of you who don't know what that is, these are the kits that soldiers wear. They are immediate triage. 
And it's the number one request from soldiers in the region. Whenever Yvonne and his team pass through checkpoints, the soldiers are desperate. Do you have the IFAC kits, they ask. Sometimes they do, and many times they don't. So we are bringing as many as we can take over there. We're going to bring them to the church. And then the church is going to take them straight to where they're needed most. If you can help in this way, this is the best thing to do, is to send money to First Presbyterian, and then send, Then the church will send it on to the Outreach Foundation. It's the quickest way to do it. We've already mobilized around this need. To give you a sense of the scope of the amount that we're taking over, we're filling two, we're taking the seats out of 15 passenger vans, two of them, and we're filling it up to be both up to the brim and taking those over. Above all else, Yvonne has said to continue to pray for a just peace. Now, here's what a just peace looks like. It means that Ukraine has won and Russia has been pushed back to its original borders. This war is not about land or resources. It's about the very identity and existence of an ethnic group. And in the Russian Federation, there is no room for the Ukrainian identity. This war will not end anytime soon. It is either fight or die. So let's pray that the heroes of this war, like Ivan and his wife Luda, are protected because where they live, the weeds are very thick. Pray for repentance in Russia and that the church around the world will stand with Ukrainian churches and that they are the true signs of hope for today. And finally, let's pray for ourselves that in hearing these stories, we'll be emboldened to take courageous steps ourselves. This is one of the reasons God blesses us with the global friends that we have, that by their witness, we can be more courageous in our lives. Thank you again for standing with the people of Ukraine this year and for what you will continue to do. Let me pray. Lord, forgive us that when bad things happen, we're often tempted to wonder where you are. But you yourself said that when we accept you into our lives, it is a lifestyle of taking up the cross. We remember when Jacob met you one night and he came away from that experience crippled. We remember when Saul met you on the road to Damascus and he came away blind. Lord, we pray for a chest piece in Ukraine and we pray for your hedge of protection around Yvonne, Luda, and many others who are standing where we cannot stand. Cause the wheat to flourish and soon bring that day that you will gather the weeds of injustice and burn them all away. In your name we pray. Amen.